Welcome to Final Girl Gossips. I'm Final Girl, and today we're starting a new segment. Whether it will be a whole new podcast on its own, haven't decided, leave the organization up to me, and you just focus on listening. This is going to be You Never Forget Your First Time, where I will have guests that tell me their most exciting first time of whatever. It may be their first Major League Baseball game. It could be their first time going head-to-head in a cage match. These will be friends of mine, but I will also open it up to my listeners. If you're interested in telling me your first time, drop a like in the comments or shoot me an email and we will get you on the show. I promise there won't be a continuing morbid theme on this podcast, even though the last episode was about the Gainesville Ripper and the murders that inspired the Scream franchise. And today I'll be talking about my first time performing CPR. I'm a national registered EMT and am soon on my way to paramedic school. And so I thought I would recount the time that I first performed CPR. But let's talk about the history of CPR so you at least learn something when you step away from this podcast today. I'm not going to go into the details of the difference between a cardiac arrest, respiratory arrest, a heart attack, my cardio infarction. That's not important. What's important is that the idea of resuscitating or trying to bring someone back to life, not in a zombie movie way, but in a artificial breathing or chest compression type of method. This has been going on since the early, almost 1500s. The first method being the bellows method used by a Swiss doctor in which he would use actual bellows to breathe for a patient. Now we know today that you don't want to breathe too much into a person because that can overexpand their lungs or it can go down the wrong pipe. But that's kind of resourceful if you think about it because they probably had bellows everywhere. But now that I'm thinking about it, those are used to get fires going. So how much charcoal and smoke debris was in these bellows that are then put into the person's mouth? Well, that's why it's called practicing medicine, right? So the bellows method was actually used for quite a long time, from the 1500s to the late 1700s. And it wasn't until a doctor revived a suffocating coal pit miner with mouth-to-mouth breaths. And that would eventually become the first clinical description of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. With that success, it was recommended to use that type of resuscitation for reviving victims of drowning. This is still the late 1700s, early 1800s, that chest compressions or anything of the like has yet to be introduced to this method. Now, don't come for me. This was the mid-late 1700s. I have nothing to do with this. But they were experimenting with animals, and a Danish vet realized that you could apply electric shock to a lifeless chicken and restore its heartbeat. So already back then, we're realizing or recognizing that there is electric current in the body by the heart, and that if the electric current is not there, we can just add electricity and try to get it going again. Obviously, that's crudely put, but the general idea. We're going to fast forward to the late 1950s, early 1960s. Just keep in mind the whole reviving 
electric shock and compressions is a trial and error, but doctors and surgeons are diligently looking for a way to make resuscitation of unresponsive victims just easier and more attainable. And it wasn't until 1957 that the U.S. military adopted the mouth-to-mouth method. Now, my first recollection of understanding what the mouth-to-mouth method was, was when I saw it in the movie The Sandlot. If you haven't seen The Sandlot, do yourself a favor and find out where it's streaming. But the scene I'm referring to is when a kid from the baseball team wants to get the attention of his dream girl, the lifeguard. He decides, well, if I drown, then she has to pay attention to me. The kid jumps in the pool. She saves him, performs mouth to mouth. The kid is stoked, but kicked out of the pool. And probably I was maybe 10 or 11 when I first saw this movie. And that was my knowledge of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. In the 1960s is when the American Heart Association formally adopts the CPR method as far as compressions and mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Another important thing about the early 60s is we get Rescue Annie. Annie is the name of the girl whose face is used on CPR mannequins across the world. That's right, you learned how to save a life using a death mask. What's a death mask? So glad you asked. It's the likeness in wax or plaster cast of a person's face after their death, usually made by taking a cast or impression from the corpse. Death masks may be mementos of the dead or were also used for creation of portraits. I wish I could tell you that it gets less creepy, but it doesn't. The story of Rescue Annie begins more than a century ago when the body of a girl who looked about 16 was pulled from the Sin River. Because her body showed no signs of violence, it was speculated that she had committed suicide. She was put on public display in a mortuary in hopes that someone would identify her. Unfortunately, nobody did, and she became known as the Unknown Woman of the Sin. The doctor who performed her autopsy was just so taken by her serene expression that he had an artist recreate a plaster model of her face, which, of course, we discussed earlier, was a death mask. So that's creepy, right? Let's let's just ponder on that for a second. It's this doctor who has no relations to this 16-year-old girl, doesn't want a sketch of her face. I don't know if photos were big back then. No, he wants a plaster model of her face. That's weird, right? That's like, that's creepy. But not only was her face recreated, that mask was then replicated and sold. And it's been said that the Lorenzi model makers reportedly still sell copies of it today under the title Drowned Woman de la Sin. So it's, it's creepy, right? Oh, but things don't stop there. In the late 50s is when medical students were starting to learn and practice CPR. And a member of the American Heart Association realized, wow, if we had mannequins or dummies, then the students wouldn't have to practice on each other. They could just practice on essentially a toy. Which, how many ribs were broken while they were practicing on each other? And let's also think about 
what kind of damage was done in the event that hearts weren't stopped? That, that's a rabbit hole I kind of want to go down and do some research on. So he reaches out to a Norwegian toy maker and he explains the dummy mannequin idea that he has. And it turns out that this toy maker was like, yeah, we can absolutely do that. And in fact, I have the perfect face. That's right. He had seen a reproduction of Annie on a relative's wall and said, this is going to be the face of your mannequin. What a turn of events, you know? Um, it's kind of sad if you think about Annie. You have so much to live for. And, you know, no one was there for her when she decided to end it. But also, that's all speculation. Maybe there's an unsolved murder there. Maybe Final Girl Gossips will solve that murder. But right now, it's just a suicide of an unknown 16-year-old girl who was pulled from the river and then was just so beautiful and so serene that some creep decided to have her face turn into a death mask. And now we practice on dummies and mannequins that look like her instead of practicing on each other. You, you can't make this up. This is just some weird stuff. That toy company changed careers and went from making toys to making medical devices. And they've created Annie's that have been used all over the world. If you've taken a CPR class, you've used Annie. I've used Annie. And if you're familiar with the steps of CPR, you have to make sure that the person is okay because they could just be taking a nap by the side of the pool or in a stairwell, but that's not normally the case. However, you don't want to wake them up by doing chest compressions. So you want to say, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And if you're in CPR class and your mannequin is introduced to you as Annie, well, then you're going to say, hey, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? And if you're like me, you automatically have the King of Pop song stuck in your head. That's right, Smooth Criminal was inspired by a CPR class that Michael Jackson took. Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? To solidify this, if you're a little skeptical, which I was, in his second verse, it goes, So they came into the outway. It was Sunday. What a black day. Mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, sounding heartbeats, intimidations. Smooth Criminal, my friends, was inspired by CPR class. Between being a first responder, serving in the military, and working on Pulodex, Annie and I have spent some quality time together. And she absolutely prepared me for the first time I would perform CPR on a real human. It was my first night of clinicals in the ER for my EMT course. Between class and work, I only had time for third shift clinicals. But I figured overnight was when all the crazy stuff would happen. A patient was brought in, and I don't remember if he was airlifted, but due to his condition, I don't think he was. He was an overweight male in probably early 50s brought in for respiratory arrest, and was immediately put into room seven. My favorite, the trauma room. 
I followed the nurse I was shadowing in and watched what I called the ballet unfold before me. Seeing ER staff work in emergency for the first time was beautiful. Everyone had their place and role. There was at least nine staff members in that tiny room. I felt like I was in the way, but was treated as a team member. The patient flatlined, and they started CPR on him. My preceptor confirmed, you're CPR trained, right? I replied, yeah, yeah, I am. We'll get in line for the next tag out. I got in line, and when the nurse in front of me got tired, I stepped in. CPR on an actual human and not a dummy will wear you out. I gave it all my might. I made sure to keep a beat and not go too fast. But going too fast, I don't think was going to be an issue. Going fast enough was more like it. I had to stand on a stool to reach over the table. And in fact, I was almost kneeling on the table to get a good position. I compressed till I couldn't compress anymore. And I tapped out. That was it. I performed CPR on a real human. Someone whose heart wasn't beating. They shocked him a few times and eventually brought him back. The patient coded and flatlined three to five more times between then and bringing him up to the ICU. It turned out he had a pulmonary embolism in each lung. That's a blood clot in each lung. Not a happy ending, but I'll never forget my first time performing CPR. We all have moments like that in our life. Not necessarily attempting to save a person's life, but moments that we wish we could capture in a bottle events that we wouldn't necessarily want to experience again because the first time was just so precious, something that we know we can never recreate. I think kids these days are calling it altered brain chemistry, where specific time with a person or an event altered my brain chemistry. I like to think it's millennials can refer to the perks of being a wallflower quote in that moment, I swear we were infinite. It's just a moment where you look back fondly. A moment that you grew from, you learned from, you might hurt from. But it's something you'll never forget. And it tends to be the first of things. The first time you tried something, whether it was a drink, a food, a skill. And you may be proud of yourself. You may not be proud. And I cannot wait to hear friends first. I cannot wait to hear yours, the listeners first. And I'm excited for this segment of this podcast or if it turns into its own podcast. I'm Final Girl. This has been Final Girl Gossips. You can find me on Instagram for this podcast, Final Girl Gossips, or for my art. If you need something commissioned or you just want to chat, Final Girl Graphics. Thank you and have a great day. Mm -hmm.